Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. This message is about choice, change, and challenge. And, and this came from, I just read a little article that Billy Graham had written probably 10 years ago. And I want to quote two things that he said in this article that really started me thinking along these lines this week. The first one was, and this is a quote from Billy Graham, says, a Christian is a person who has made a choice, a person who has accepted a challenge, a person who has been changed through the new birth. And, and this is really day-to-day, but in particular, I'm thinking, looking forward to 2019. Um, this is our choice. We, can, we, we have the every day and moment to moment, we get to choose between being acting, behaving, Christian or secular, Christian or worldly, Christian or materialistic. And, and, and let me explain that last one a little bit, because, and I do it because I, I walked around in ignorance for 20 years, because I, I first heard that, that term materialistic uh, in a philosophy class in college, probably the only class I ever took where I got lost the second sentence of the professor's first lecture and never, never found, never figured out what he was talking about the entire semester. But he kept talking about materialism, and I was always thinking, from a Christian perspective, materialism was um, just living to gather stuff. And that's not what I mean here by materialistic. A materialist literally just means that the person believes there is no spiritual realm. If, if you can't touch it, feel it, examine it, it doesn't exist. So to a materialist, there is no supernatural. There is nothing beyond our universe. Everything is contained within our physical boundaries. And as Christians, you can't be a Christian and be a materialist. Otherwise, where do you put God? God exists outside of our universe. He, he is beyond stuff. He is eternal. He has existed forever. And we sometimes live as if there is no God. Let's just face it. If, if, if you are in the midst, and sometimes we do it, we do it by choice, or we just slip into an old habit. But if you're in the midst of sinning, I've never been in the middle of, of doing something that I knew I should not be doing and thought, wow, God's right here with me. He's usually not even in my thinking. I think I'm alone. That's one of the reasons, you know, the best crime preventative man has ever found are electric lights. You want to reduce crime in a part of the city, you put street lights up. Where there's light, crime usually goes down because people will do things in the dark that they won't do in the light. Well, that's a great lesson for us. We need to stay in the light. Billy Graham said it. This person made a choice, they've accepted the challenge, they've changed through the new birth. Then he also said this, and, and I had it started me on, on a quest. He, he said in this article, he said, the word Christian means a partisan for Christ. Now I know in today's world when I heard that word, a partisan, 
I thought in political terms, partisan politics. That was the first thing that flashed into my head. But then, being a good child of the 50s and 60s, I remembered all the old war movies that I watched growing up, and I thought of the, the, the French pronunciation, the partisan, which were the underground troops during World War II that fought against the, the occupying armies in Europe. And I thought, that is even better. I am a partisan for Christ. I, am, I have a, a biased allegiance. I am biased towards Jesus. He is good, you know, John 10.10. Uh, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life in that more abundantly. I divide every incident in my life, every event, I, I put it to the John 10.10 10 test. Does it come to steal, kill, or destroy, or does it come to give me abundant life? If it doesn't bring me abundant life, if it's stealing or killing or destroying something, then it's not God. That's because I'm a partisan. But I, on another level, I am also a partisan. Now, I understand, and I've preached it many times, that we are an occupying army. Jesus conquered this world. He said, have no fear, little children. I have conquered the world. But he has authority. He has conquered Satan. But Satan is still the god of this world, little g. This is, the world operates under Satan's influence, under his um, control. He has the ability to do things. The, the earth is still under the curse of the fall. So we are set as lighthouses in the midst of this, and we are called to harass him. And we do that primarily by preaching the gospel. We preach the gospel. We live the gospel. And, and when we do that, these armies, which, keep in mind, we are in the middle of a, of a war, but Ephesians 6.12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our warfare is not against other people. Our warfares are not against the political party. Our warfares are not against another denomination. Our warfare is not against another nationality or another race or another country. Our warfare is against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. That's where our warfare is, and that's who we harass. That's who we bind. That's who we take authority over. And we are to be partisans, and as we fight them, we will convert some of the human part of their army, the people that are under their influence, as they see the light in us, they will be attracted to the light and come into the light and get born again, which is the essence of our existence. That's why we're here. Now, that got me looking, I, because I remembered um, in, in Acts it talks about, you know, when, where in, I think it was... Well, I forget the city now. But it says here they were first, where Paul went to preach first. And here they were first called Christians. So I started looking up exactly what that word means. And our English word Christian is a combination of Christ, which is just a transliteration of Christos, which means the anointed one. And it came to have a technical meaning, meaning the Messiah. But it also has that ending, I-A-N, which is, is the English version of a Latin term um, that literally means to be in the household, to be a slave in the household of someone. 
For instance, if you are a, a, a baker, that, you are the, you, that is your, you come to identify with that profession. You come, whoever's house, if you are of the house of Caesar, you are a Caesaran, I guess. Not, I don't know that that makes a great English term. But as a Christian, to call yourself a Christian means that you are a slave in the household of Christ. That you are his anointed one. But it also has, a, the, besides just being a slave in the household of someone, it also means to be a spokesman for someone. So we're not only, we saw that when, when we were in Jude, and we will eventually get back to Jude, but we saw that Jude was a, a bondservant. He, he called it an honor to be called a slave of Christ. But he also was a spokesman for Christ, which is very important and a very, not necessarily, well, yeah, it's a dangerous proposition or a dangerous claim to make. Because if I'm speaking for Christ, man, I've got to be careful what I say. Because people take that seriously. And if I make false claims, which every time I get over in my flesh, if people identify me as a Christian and I proclaim that I'm a Christian, when I get in my flesh, I bring disrepute on my household. The same way if, you've, if you're older and you have kids, when, when your kids misbehave, it brought disrepute on your house. Wow. Wonder what kind of mom and dad he has. Well, people have, have thoughts about Christ sometimes because of our behavior. Wish it wasn't so. I wish, I wish their thoughts were all positive because of my behavior. But I also have to real, recognize that I'm still a fallen creature, part of me. I still have the flesh, the nature of the flesh. And where my spirit is not ruling, sometimes I behave in ways that don't represent the true me on the inside. Well, once we've made that choice, I choose to become a Christian, then I'm faced with change because that is the initial evidence or the initial action of making the choice to follow Christ. Paul said it, um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The result of me calling on the name of Christ means I changed inwardly. I went from death to life. I went from darkness to light. I went from, from being a, a, a goat to a sheep. My spiritual DNA changed radically and dramatically and permanently. I am one with Christ now. Now, if I'm a new creation, the question is, should I behave a little bit differently? Well, by definition, yes. If he changed my nature, then at some point my behavior has to follow that. And if it doesn't, then my behavior got arrested somewhere. And, and, and unfortunately, as Christians, sometimes we get there. We have a process of growing in Christ. And if we short-circuit that process at any point, we can quit growing. And we will stay at that developmental stage. You see that with, with, with people. I can't count the number. We, we used to joke that, you know, when your kids turn 13, you have that wonderful experience. You wake up and there's a total stranger in the bed where your child used to be. 
And you hope and you pray that someday they will come right back into their right mind. Most do. But I've, I've met some 30, 40, 50-year-old parents when I was a teacher that they were still teenagers at heart. They were still acting like teenagers. They were still reacting like teenagers. They had never grown up. They had never taken responsibility for their life. They had never changed. They were still, they had just switched depending on mama to depending on somebody else. And they were children, teenagers, rebellious, stupid at heart. I don't want to be in that position in my Christian position. I want to be able to say, look, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Hopefully, I'm not at the five-year-old stage after 20 years of being a Christian. I need to grow up. I need to start acting like, like, like God says that I am on the inside. It's what if we were there in, in 1 Corinthians 5 or 2 Corinthians 5. If you go to 2 Corinthians 6, it says in verse 1, We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It, it, that, that phrase right there, the, the van, vanity means to be empty or be without value. I immediately think of Exodus 20, verse 7, which is the third commandment, where, where uh, Moses said, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him blameless who takes his name in vain. Now, we as Christians, modern Christians, American Christians, sometimes narrow that down to thinking it's saying phrases like, oh my God, or GD. There are a number of them. Those are, those are probably not good expressions to use, but that's not what this, what this commandment is talking about. This commandment is talking about calling yourself and saying, I am one with Christ, and then your, your life and your attitude and your lifestyle does not line up with who you say you are. The, the, the perfect example of that is to carry God's name, but then to do evil in God's name. And I will give you an extreme example. And we don't live maybe in this extreme part, but I saw just recently, I don't remember where I saw it, but it angered me, which is part of the reason I have to stay off social media because it angers me a lot. But I saw a group of quote-unquote Christians Christian ministers that were having a blessing ceremony at a brand new abortion clinic that was opening up in their city. And they were asking God to bless this abortion center because it was, it was giving women choice in their reproductive health. And I thought, oh my God, how... How deceived do you have to be to call yourself a Christian and stand there and say, inside this building, you know, Hitler was a pretty effective murderer. 10 to 12 million people, 6 million just because they were Jews. But another 6 million for a whole variety of reasons. Stalin was even more effective. He killed more like 60 to 80 million. They both were, were amateurs compared to Mao. Mao killed up to 120 million, just starved them, beat them to death, did all kinds of things to them. And yet, all of those are paled by our rate of, of, of death to abortion. 
And, and you, can, you don't even have the excuse of, of, of being an anti-Semite. Well, we've got to exterminate the Jews because they're just vermin. Or we've got to exterminate this group because they're physically or mentally handicapped. Or we've got to exterminate this group because they're racially impure. A baby is totally innocent, especially an unborn child. How in the world could they have done something wrong and yet you're going to rip them out of their mother's womb and kill them? No matter where you are on the abortion spectrum of, of beliefs, abortions always stop a beating heart. That is a fact that you cannot dispute. And yet these people are blessing it in Jesus' name. That is taking the name of God in vain. That is doing evil in the name of Christ. And that, my friend, will get you in trouble with God super fast. We will make mistakes. We will sin. We will do all kinds of things. But when you put God's name on your actions and say, this is what God empowered me to do, and that thing that you're doing is evil, wow, you have stepped over a line that will get you smacked down pretty quick. Now, let's, we were there in 2 Corinthians 6.1. Let's read 6.2. This is why he says, don't, take the, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold now, this present moment, not two seconds ago, not two seconds in the future, but right now, right now is the accepted time. Behold, right now is the day of salvation. Keep in mind, this is chapter 6. In chapter 5, Paul said, when you are, if you are anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. So he's not talking to people that are not Christians. He's talking to people that have experienced the new birth. And he's telling people that are born again, spirit-filled, today is the day of salvation. Well, I'm already saved. Why do I have to know about today is the day of salvation? He's saying that because when he's talking to born-again people, he's trying to get across to this church at Corinth that the new birth is not a destination. It's a launching point. It's where you get on the ship to sail the, the, the journey of life. It's not where I go, but I've arrived. Well, thank God in one sense I have arrived. I am a new creation. I am brand new. I am one with God and He is one with me. And I am safe in that and secure in that relationship. But it also puts requirements on me. I've made the statement before when I was little, my mama would look at my brothers and I and say, Robert's boys don't do that. And it just, we were all puzzled. Poor old mom. She's old, you know. She was probably in her late 20s when she was saying this. But I know three Roberts boys that do exactly what you're saying Roberts boys don't do. Well, we were too young, or she just didn't have the vocabulary to tell us that, no, having the name Roberts being my son, this is not acceptable behavior. Well, it took me to almost 30 before that dawned on me. Now, maybe I'm a little slow, but... I think it should have hit a little farther. But, but God has called us to change. That's what our choice to take the name of Christ requires that we change. Now, that change is always going to be a challenge. Change never comes easy. It's just hard. I know, small changes might not be real hard, 
but even small changes are not easy. There's always a challenge to change. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. New King James says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I love Barclay's translation of the end of that. He says, it's your, it is the only kind of worship which is truly spiritual. It's our spiritual service of worship to, to, to be a living sacrifice. And the problem with being a living sacrifice, a normal sacrifice, you lay it on the altar, you slit its throat, and you bleed it out. And it's dead. It doesn't get to move. If you're a living sacrifice, you can crawl back down off that offer, off of the altar. And sometimes we crawl up on the altar and, Lord, you have it all. I'm giving you every, all of this. And then a few minutes later, you call right back down that altar and you pick it right back up. Reminds me of the story of the old guy. He, he was walking and it, he was like where I grew up. You couldn't walk. There was no flat land. I was in southern Indiana, but it looked more like Appalachia where I grew up. Hilly. I mean, we had an entire county, probably the, geographically the size of Marion County, and we had one place we could drag race because there was only one quarter-mile straight stretch of road in the entire county. Everything else, you had, it was curvy or hills or something. But, but the story was, this guy was, had a backpack on, he had a heavy load, he was walking, he was getting tired. Old farmer came by in his wagon, offered him a ride, and the guy said, thank you, crawled up on the seat next to him and left his backpack on. And the farmer looked at him and said, brother, you can take your backpack off and put it in the back. And he said, oh, no, I, I, I wouldn't want your horses to have to pull my load, too. <laughs> Never dawning on him that the horses are pulling the load, whether he's pulling it or not. He's still carrying that load, thinking that he's doing these horses a favor by him carrying it. And it's just stupid. We do the same thing, though. Sometimes God has taken that load, and we still want to keep the backpack on and handle that load because, well, that's just what, what we do. No. He said we're to be a living sacrifice. Get up on that altar and stay there and let God deal with it. You just sacrifice your life to Him. And He tells you how to do that in verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world. That's the Greek word aeon. Be better translated age. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, Barclay has a much better translation. Let me give you his translation. Do not shape your lives to meet the fleeting fashions of this age, but be transformed from it by the renewal of your mind until the very essence of your being is altered so that in your own life you may prove that the will of God is good and well-pleasing and perfect. I love that, especially that end. Because I've heard people say, now see, according to verse 2, there is, there is the, um, the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. Now there's only one will of God, and it's good and perfect and acceptable. That's what we're proving by our lifestyle. Now, the, where is, is the challenge? Go to Matthew Chapter 5, and you'll have to give me a second to get over there because this one's not in my notes. Matthew chapter 5, and this is one of those verses that we just don't want to, or passages, we just want to look at this one too often or too hard. Matthew 5, we're going to start in verse 38. 
This is Jesus saying, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let me stop there and just run a little rabbit here. People criticize the Bible for that, saying that that, that commandment right there shows that we're out for revenge. That verse has nothing to do with revenge. That, that verse was the first time in, in where human behavior was codified where the law said your punishment had to fit the crime. Because before this, if you were rich and powerful and somebody did, you, did something to you that you just didn't like, you could cut their head off and who's going to challenge you? Because you're rich and powerful. No, the Bible said, no, you look at what the person did wrong and their punishment has to fit the level of their crime. And you can't go beyond that. You can't just do retribution because you happen to be in a bad mood and you have the power to, to make the, ex, make the uh, punishment excessive. We've got that ensconced in our Constitution where it says we can't have forms of punishment that are cruel or unusual. That's, what the, that's where this came from. So Jesus starts with that. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. For whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. That last one comes from Roman law. Any Roman soldier could come up to a person that, that is a subject of Rome and command that person to carry his load for one mile. Can't go past one mile, but he could command you to do it one mile. Jesus is saying, if he asks you to do it one, go two. Verse 42, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, and don't turn away. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Right there, he has just said, he has given us a heck of a load. Somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left one. What he is saying, and this, you're going to have to listen carefully to this because I, I don't want to be misunderstood. When we take on the, the, the name of Christ, we also take on the role of Christ. Now, Jesus came for one purpose, to live a perfect life and die a perfect death. And in doing that, he conquered death, he conquered hell, he conquered the devil, and he rose again and took us to heaven with him when he rose. But when we take his name on, and I don't know where exactly, I don't remember where the, the address for this passage, but there is a place in the New Testament that says, someone who sins you, you forgive, they'll be forgiven. The, there is a person who sins you retain, they'll be retained. And I've always thought of that and thought, that, man, that puts the power of forgiveness in our hands. That's a powerful thing to do. And in some ways, a very foolish thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I thought Jesus had forgiven sins. No, what he's saying through all of this is we are also to take on his role as Savior. Now, this is where you've got to be careful. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus died for the sins of the world. We, we're not called to do that one. But in personal relationships... 
If someone slaps me, if they hurt me, I have an obligation to play the role of Savior and forgive them preemptively. When I do that, I'm going to suffer. That's the challenge. You cannot take on that role and not have people hurt you. They will hurt you. That's what we do to one another. And I, I'm very serious in that. We do that one to another. And we cannot do that. Our role is to walk in forgiveness. And when it hurts, suck it up and realize that you are bearing the sufferings of Christ because he's called you to do that. And in doing that, I am convinced when you read in Acts where, where, where Stephen was stoned, the last words that Stephen said was, Father, forgive them. Same words Jesus said from the cross. And I believe that pronouncement of forgiveness to those men put a, a marker on, on Paul, on Saul of Tarsus. And it gave God the ability to go in and haunt him with those words. You're stoning this man to death and he's forgiven you. And look what you're doing. These people don't agree with your theology, so you're killing them. What is wrong with you, Paul? And I think that, that gnawed at him and gnawed at him until when Jesus confronted him on the Damascus Road, he was ready to accept it. Now Jesus knocked him off his mule... But still, it, 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 he was there because of what Stephen did. We're called to do the same thing. James 1 verse 22. Don't be doers of the word or be doers of the word and not hearers only. Sometimes we hear things and we think, well, I agree with that, therefore I'm putting faith in that. But if it doesn't affect your actions, then your faith is not active. James said it later on. He said, you say you have faith? I'll show you my faith by my works. If you have faith, works have to follow. If you don't, you're just being a hearer and you're deceiving yourself. There is a price for us to pay. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus carried the thought in chapter 5 on. And this one, I'll, I'll be honest with you, this one haunts me at times. Not in, verse, in, in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The reason he did not know them is their, their actions did not follow what they said they believed. Their actions did not follow who they said they were. And the, the, that's a dangerous place to be. And then he followed that up with the, the, the parable of the two houses. Therefore, because that is a possibility, because I've already told you in chapter 5 that you are going to have to pay a price walking by the Spirit, walking in the change that's required of my sacrifice in the new birth. Walking in that change is going to be challenged to you. You're going to suffer because of it. And because of that, I'm telling you right now, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. If you read these two passages, the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand, they both went through the same experiences. They both suffered assault. They both had rain, floods, winds, and got beaten. Their, their, the results of their life, the outward circumstances of their life, weren't that different. But the one who heard what Jesus said and did what Jesus said, it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Going back to James in verse 25 of chapter 1, James says why this happens. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. As a former educator, well, as an educator, period, I can tell you right now, when you hear a new concept, somebody's trying to teach you something, if you don't immediately put it to work in your life, you will lose it. I, I never forget, it was an eye-opener. It was at the end of my career. I had a kid in physics. I, I introduced a new topic. I got up on the board, I explained it, and I did the math, I did the problem, and it was simple math. It was not complicated, because I don't do complicated math. Do you understand it? Yeah, I got that. That's, that is so simple. And it was. And then two weeks later, I gave him the test, and he failed it miserably. And I handed him back his test with an F on it, and he said, I don't understand this. I understood everything you said when it was on the board. And I asked him, I said, how many of those problems did you do on your own? Well, I didn't do any, because I knew what you said, and I had perfect understanding. What he didn't realize was hearing and not working you don't retain it. You only retain it when you hear it and then you put it to practice. And you practice and you practice and you practice. I watched a lot of training films when I was a kid playing basketball. How, how do you shoot? What's the form of your shot? I could have watched them all. I could stand here with no basketball. Man, I got, a per, I got perfect form on my jump shot. But until I pick up that ball and get on a court and throw that ball towards that round hoop, I don't learn the process. I only learn it by doing it and doing it and doing it. And all of these things that Jesus is telling us to do, we only learn them when we do them. And here's why we don't do them. It hurts. Because when you do them, you open yourself up to the same attacks that Jesus got. And that is painful. Our flesh, when somebody slaps me, my flesh wants to slap you back twice as hard. I am going to knock you back you will never think about. Now, don't make the mistake, uh, because a lot of people read that on the surface and they say, well, see, we're supposed to be pacifists. Remember, the same Jesus in the four Gospels is the same Jesus that told Joshua to go in and conquer cities and kill every living thing in it. Jesus is not a pacifist. When he comes back for that final battle, it says that the blood is going to run up to the height of a horse's bridle. That's at a minimum four or five feet deep. Jesus is not a pacifist. But what he's saying is, is when you're living in relationship with people, you're going to get hurt. Don't retaliate. 
Don't give an eye for an eye. Take it. Forgive them. And then bless them. And then go pray for them. You have somebody that you really dislike, you just despise that person, you see that person in your head and your blood pressure starts to rise, you get on your knees and pray for them. And pray for them. And you pray for them until you can think about them and your blood pressure doesn't rise. Tears will come to your eyes. My God, help them. They are so deceived. They have to be deceived to act the way they do. When your attitude changes from, I just want to... I want to find their neck and just lay hands on them suddenly. When that changes to crying tears of compassion over them, you know you're on the right track. You've just about whipped that situation. But until then, you still got to exercise the work. And then it's even harder because you can do that in your prayer closet. Then when you get face-to-face with them, it's a little harder because your flesh wants to rise up and defend yourself. Because we all want to defend ourselves. I don't want people to think I'm wrong. I don't want to be wrong. So when you tell me I'm wrong, man, there's part of me that just wants to push back hard. And the harder you tell me I'm wrong, the more I want to push back on you. But I'm not allowed to because I've taken the name of Christ. Let me finish with this. Joshua 1, first nine verses. The very first, uh, first two verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. You've got to understand, first thing, I am dead. Me. I died and Christ resurrected me. Even the me that lived yesterday is dead. He says, that old one is dead, therefore arise. The me of yesterday is dead and gone. The me of today has to conquer today. And I need to, no matter what I did yesterday, if I know I did something wrong, I need to get that under the blood. That's 1 John 1, 9. Lord, forgive me. I messed up. I sinned. I didn't just make a mistake. I sinned. Forgive me. And he cleansed me. Now I'm faced with the challenge. I've got to live better today. But notice in verse 3 what happens when you have that attitude. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Only the things that you address and you challenge will be changed. Now there is a part of us, and you will see people like this. Well, I just, life's hard and I'm just going to drift, I'm just going to drift along. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And I'm not going to fight my circumstances. You can take that attitude, but you can't take that attitude and be a Christian. Because to be a Christian means I'm going to attack. I'm going to attack the challenges. I'm going to attack the enemy in my life, first of all, for trying to stir up my flesh to react in the wrong way. And I'm going to stir up the righteous part of me to let righteousness rule, walk in forgiveness, walk in love, speak peace, pray for people, Be kind to people, especially when they're hard on me. Especially when they treat me what I think is unfair. And when I do that, when I address those issues in my life. See, we always want to address the issues out there. I can address, you got a problem? Come share it with me. 
I'll have a solution. It's easy. I can fix your problems in a heartbeat. Why? Because I don't have to live it out. I can just tell you what the Word says. And that's easy. That's like a doctor saying, here's a pill. Go take it for two weeks and you'll be better. You don't have to fight through the symptoms for the next week and a half before the medicine finally kicks in. I got to go take the medicine. I got to, when he says, you, you, you're just a little bit fat. In fact, you're not a little bit, you're a whole lot. Get off, up off your lazy butt, get to the gym, work out, quit eating all the ding-dongs. Despite what Tim said, we are not to be Twinkies in a ding-dong world. We're just supposed to leave the Twinkies and the ding-dongs alone. But when he says that, it's easy for him to say it. If I receive it and I realize that's revelation, I really need to do that, it's easy to receive it. It's not real easy to walk it out. Because that first morning, I really don't want to get out of bed. It's cold in the room. It's warm under the covers. And i got to get dressed and go out to a cold car and drive to the workout spot and actually put my muscles in gear. Nah, 15 minutes more sleep, half hour more sleep, do me a lot more good than exercising will. And I'm telling you, it, it, it's, what are you going to do? You're going to stay fat and out of shape. Spiritually, it's the same way. But notice what... what, what it continues to say, and drop down to the end of verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. It's the presence of God in those battles. He's right there helping us. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You're not alone in the fight. God is right there. Doing it. If, if you read, and I'm not going to go through it all, but you read Romans 8. Starts out with, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. We, we, God does not condemn us. Even when we sin, He doesn't condemn us. He just calls us back to righteousness. Now, He may condemn your sin, but He doesn't condemn you. There's a difference. But in, in verse um, um, 36, it said, In all of these things we're more than conquerors. He's already conquered the world. He's just telling us to follow through with it. But then in verse 6, he tells you what, you what is really necessary. Be strong and of good courage. The beginning of verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on, in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Three times in, in, in what, from verse 6 to 9, four verses. He's reiterated, do you want to meditate in the Word? Do you want to live the Word? It's going to take courage, it's going to take strength. It's the hardest thing you will ever do. That's why there's a challenge. We have to choose, we have to change, and we have to face the challenge. And it is not easy. It is hard. It will take everything in you to do it. But as you do it and do it and do it, you're, everywhere your foot treads, when you're doing it in His power and you're doing it by His direction, you will succeed. The enemy can't overcome you because he's already defeated. People will actually react positive to, positively to you at some point. Now, you also have to learn the lesson, and I'm not going to preach on this one long, but you also have to lesson. There are times when Jesus said, don't cast your pearls between, before swine. 
When you've got people in your, in your sphere of influence that you know what you're going to say is not going to be received, you need to really check hard from God. Do you want me to say this? Because not every challenge has to be met. In that old movie, War Games, at the end, the computer finally learned and realized that nuclear war had no winners. And his comment back to the, the people that he had control over now was, strange game. The only winning move is not to play. When it comes to conflict, the only winning move is to not play. When they, when they revile you, don't answer back. Pray for them. When, when they cheat you, bless them. Man, that's hard. That's hard. And sometimes when you know they're, what they're spouting is just pure rubbish, you just have to, you have to ask God, do you want me to say something? And if he doesn't say yes, then just keep your mouth shut. Because if they're not ready to receive it, don't throw it out there. Don't start a fight. Just because you know you're right. Amen? Now, this relates to all of us personally, and this is my challenge. It's why I think God laid this on my heart. My challenge is for this next year, we need to start working on this individually. But also, we are also corporately together doing this. And as we all do this corporately, then corporately we will progress too. And I'm telling you, we are facing choices as a church. You face them individually, but as a group, we're going to face choices. And all of those choices are going to require change. And all of that change is going to be challenging. I, I, I've told the story before. When I first got out of Bible school, I was an associate pastor in a church, and we met in a, a um, building. Our sanctuary was maybe three-quarters of the size of the stage. And we had 50 people attending in that size of a sanctuary. I mean, we were packed like sardines. We, in December, we had to run the air conditioner because you couldn't, you couldn't get the heat out of the building fast enough. <clears throat> we, we got enough money together. We were going to rent another storefront three miles down the road, 8,000 square feet, was an old gym, all open, perfect for, for a church to, to grow in. We moved three down, three miles down the road and lost three families, two families maybe. And, and they didn't have a problem. They weren't mad. But we changed. And they couldn't handle the change. And so they left the church. And I remember when that happened, I talked to all of them. Why aren't you attending anymore? Well, it was just, it was, we, we kind of missed that cozy feeling. I was like, I don't miss it. I'm, I, you know, I'm shoulder to shoulder. I can't even move in this place. You're packed in. Now we've got room to grow, but they couldn't handle the change. It was too big a challenge for them. So every change is challenging to us because of our fallen nature. And I'm telling you, we need to face our own personal changes and challenges, but together as a body, we've got choices to make. Change is coming. Challenge is going to be there. But, oh, if you, if you start doing it God's way then everywhere you set your foot, you will win the, the battle. And that's what we're, I mean, our ultimate battle is to see people born again, to see people's bodies healed, to see people's lives restored. I, I'll be honest with you, I was praying this weekend here with, with uh, another pastor, and we both, without even 
We hadn't even talked about it, but both of us prayed the same prayer. Tired of playing church. We go through all the motions, but I don't see our world impacted. Well, if my world's not being impacted, why? And if I'm not getting results, then I'm going to start doing things differently. I'll be honest with you, if I wanted to lose weight and I started on a, a diet and an exercise routine and six months down the road, I was the same weight, I'd say something's got to change. Because I'm sweating a lot, I'm going hungry a lot, and ain't nothing changing. Well, then I'm going to change what I'm doing because I'm not getting the results I want. That is, that's our future. Whether you like it or not, that is all of our future. Change will come. Challenges will come. It's just, are we making the right choices? Well, you do that by praying, by meditating the Word day and night, and when God presents them, you do them. Amen? And when it gets hard, you have to have courage. You have to have strength. As the uh, little boy you say, you just have to suck it up. Do what's right, because it's right. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.